Hi, it's Dave. Welcome. Today I'm joined by Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. It's been probably about a year and a half since I had him on my show and I'm wanting to invite him on. Um, he has some opinions on the Fed, on the stock market, on Tesla, tech stocks. So there's a lot to talk about. Gene, welcome back on the show. How have you been? I've been great. It's an honor, a pleasure to join you and a lot of fun things going on for sure. Yeah, definitely. I noticed on your Twitter account, actually I'll link to your Twitter profile in the video description. Uh, you've been following uh, Jerome Powell's testimony this morning. Um, what's going on? Um, anything stick out? Anything unusual? Um, yeah, what's your kind of take? Well, the piece that uh, stuck out most is uh, some commentary. There's a question from uh, one of the lawmakers related to quantitative easement that was followed up with an inflation-related uh, question, and they were needling around what is the Fed's posture going to be at their meeting. I believe it's the 25th and 26th of January, this upcoming next Fed meeting, which the market is obviously keen on. And uh, Chairman Powell's comments were that we're going to move sooner uh, than uh, we had previously talked about. So I think that really stuck out with me. And of course, the market's been anticipating this. This is why the market was down uh, big uh, yesterday, kind of rallied back. And I think it's just in general, the market's on ease. So I would uh, put the context as I was encouraged to hear that uh, Powell is now thinking that they're going to do something sooner. I was concerned that he may uh, kind of hide, I guess, under uh, Omicron, Omicron is very real, but hide under it and uh, basically uh, say we need to hold off on any sort of new policy adjustments around rates. But I think some of those are coming. And now my hope is just that the proper dosage gets delivered and the proper dosage in terms of how fast rates are going up and how soon. Because for me, that's what the market needs right now, especially these tech companies. They just need clarity and investors uh, just uh, crave uh, visibility and they need visibility that uh, that the Fed has made up their mind and that their cadence is uh, going to be something that they can sleep well at. So it's less about what rates ultimately do. It's more about just knowing what the Fed's going to do. And I hope we get that at the end of the month. Yeah, I mean, you say you said it well, like clarity, like 2022 is is such a volatile or uncertain year because we don't know exactly what the Fed's going to do. It seems like we have um, interest rates as one basket. We have QE, um, the tapering of the bond purchases, which seems pretty definite right now. And then we have another aspect, which is quantitative tightening, which is, you know, offloading some of the balance sheet. Um, of these, you know, things, which do you think is the most kind of important or sensitive to investors? Is it, do you think the number of interest rates hikes or do you think it's, you know, the quantitative tightening? All roads ultimately lead back to interest rates. And so those, the, the number two and number three there have an impact on what rates ultimately will be. And so I think that that is uh, what's most important. And then the question comes down to where are rates going and how does that impact these uh, discounted cash flow models longer term? And so I think that is what's most important. I, when I put all those together, I, uh, I agree with you that those are the three factors. And in terms of uh, what rates are going to ultimately do, the bond market has its own opinion and they're moving well ahead of what the Fed's commentary is. And I think that uh, the question I kind of played through too, it's, again, it's more about visibility about what rates are gonna do. Uh, less about what the absolute numbers are. And I suspect that the Fed's probably going to be chasing the bond market here, which means that the bond market's going to be moving up well ahead of the Fed doing anything. 
Uh, and so that rate number that I think is most important, we can look at it on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. It's just a matter of taking the temperature down with investors and letting them know that uh, the good old feds got things under control. And mm-hmm. by the way, the inflation number that's going to come out, the CPI number for December, I think it's going to be uh, another uh, surprise. There's high expectations for it, but I think it's going to continue to be uh, an aggressive number that's going to uh, require this this greater action by Chairman Powell. Mm-hmm. Um, on inflation, do you what's your view on it? Do you think it's transitory? Do you think 2022 will see, you know, trending back to like 2% or do you think there's something else going on and there is, you know, actually real inflation that will linger? I uh, I think it's going to linger. I think that, you know, we we should get some uh, some pullback from it. Of course, it's been right around 7%. I think it's going to uh, kind of drop back down. Maybe it's three, four, five percent, but I think it's going to continue to be at an elevated level, at least for the next couple of years. And uh, it's a pretty bold uh, statement. Uh, the reason is that I think that, uh, and and uh, the Fed said this on their December marks, and I thought uh, they really nailed it. What we have here is a demand problem, and uh, people are buying stuff. I mean, yes, there's supply chain issues that impact that, but but the demand for things is really healthy. And I think that uh, despite what you've seen is the bond market moving up in anticipation of these Fed um, maneuvers here, the bond market's been moving up, but yet demand continues to be strong. And so I think people are continuing to spend and the housing market is kind of turning back on now after taking, taking the last couple months of the year off as it typically does. And their early indications are is that pricing is going to continue to be up and be up strong. And so I think when you put all those factors together, I think you're going to continue to see inflation. I'm optimistic that these tech companies can uh, counter some of that inflation. But I suspect that it's going to uh, be at an elevated level unless there's uh, what I would call draconian measures by the Fed, which I, I think it's unlikely. Mm. Um, let's, uh, let's kind of unpack this, uh, the impact of um, interest rates on the valuation of, let's say, tech stocks or even growth stocks. So on one hand, you know, you have this interest rate hike that could impact, let's say, the discounted cash flow rates that you use to calculate valuation. But then on the other hand, if inflation is going up, it's possible perhaps that these tech companies raise prices if they have strong products, you know, um, and they it could be kind of made back up in earnings, right, with higher earnings. So what's your take on this? Like, how much does you know, interest rates affect, you know, the valuation of these tech stocks? So I put a line between the near term and I'd say that's over the next three months versus the long term. And I think the long term, many of these tech companies, especially the biggest ones are going to do, have a successful job of of recapturing uh, exactly what you talked about. And we saw that same phenomenon with Facebook pricing and Google ad pricing in 2021 just this big spike up. And so advertisers are very sensitive to the opportunities that are out there and are moving their prices higher. And as you said, these companies are benefiting from it. You look at a company like Apple, they keep their pricing pretty stable. And so that would be an example of a company that um, definitely has pricing leverage, but probably isn't going to move their prices up as fast as Google and Facebook do on a day-to-day basis. When you put it all together, I think that uh, over the long haul, I think a lot of that gap uh, does get made up. And the numbers that we have for every 1% increase in the, the Fed rate, you see a 10 to 20% headwind to earnings. 
And I think if you uh, kind of would, would uh, at least in terms of the discounted cash flow, not to earnings, but the DCF. So I think that uh, uh, these companies will, uh, a lot of them will power right through it over the long haul. But I come back to the psycho- psychological effect of uh, having the Fed out there meddling in the market and unclear what exactly they're going to do, that uncertainty. And so I think that from the fundamental perspective, I'm still optimistic that these companies can continue to move higher. I think that a lot of these tech companies are going to see that kind of inflationary benefit uh, that outweighs the increase in the interest rate. But again, there's a psychological piece that needs to play itself out, needs to flush itself out. And that's why I just hope for... um, hope for the worst when it comes to Fed commentary at the end of this month, because the faster we can get that flushed out, the more quickly investors can start focusing on what you just described, which is earnings upside related to this inflationary environment. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, so um, you talk about, let's say, you know, for every 1% of interest rates, rate, interest rate hikes, you're seeing like a 10 to 20%, let's say hit in the uh, discounted cash flow valuation, you know, approach. So, um, what do you say to those who say like, hey, the, the, the Fed can't raise interest rates beyond a certain level just because it'll, it'll invert the yield curve, right? Like we're in a super low long-term interest rate environment. Uh, maybe, you know, the Fed maxes out at, let's say, 1.5% or something before, you know, just goes haywire and, and moves us into recession. And so with that, let's say, you know, you have a 1% or 1.5% max. Um, so the cap to hit valuation isn't, you know, unlimited, of course, right? There's some type of restraint. Um, so how do you view this? Is this something like, should investors be concerned about this, you know, in terms of this is going to hit my portfolio, you know, my tech stocks are going to, you know, maybe go down with interest rates hikes, or do you just kind of weather it through if you're a long-term investor and say, hey, you know, these are strong companies, you know, as you said, their earnings will come back, they'll adjust with inflation. And this is just like a temporary, you know, maybe a headwind that's unclear, uncertain how things uh, turn out. What's your kind of take on this? Well, I think that the, by the way, those rates and that inverted yield curve conversation, it's a dynamic one, because on the one side, you don't want to invert the curve. On the other side, you don't want to create what happened in the late 70s and early 80s in terms of the inflationary environment. And so there is a give and a take there. I think that as far as uh, the near versus the long term and the, from a near term perspective, I'm still cautious. I, I'm still uh, of the belief. And when I talk about near term and talk about the next uh, one to three months, again, I hope we get some some good clarity at the end of this month. But I think that there can be still an emotional impact to these companies, even if it's um, uh, moving to that trend that you talked about, that one and a half basis points. And, uh, you know, from our fund perspective, uh, our fund is more than half in cash right now because of that. And so we're uh, taking a a pretty conservative approach to it. Again, if uh, we're okay giving up some of, uh, uh, you know, a market bounce here, uh, or uh, the hope that I have is that the Fed comes out strong at the end of the month and uh, and, and is more aggressive, and the market actually responds positive to that. So my uh, my my first and foremost, I want to know how I feel. I guess look at our portfolio and would suggest that I'm still uh, conservative. That said, is I'm a big believer in these companies, and I think that this commentary that this is there's going to be some opportunities. I don't know what it means, like generational wealth opportunities. What that uh, once in does that mean once in a decade or it can change your life? I'm not saying we're at that point. But if you just uh, step back and I think look at uh, the what has happened, especially in mid-cap growth, some of these transformative companies, 
over the past six months. And I, I think that there are going to be some huge opportunities. And so I'm still a believer in the long term. The idea of just owning things and, and don't worry about timing the market. Uh, we want to be a little more active than that and just be sensitive to uh, this uh, alignment that we still think needs to happen between what the Fed's thinking and what investors are thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, mid-cap, let's say growth, um, it seems like a lot of uh, growth companies, especially those who don't have, let's say, you know, um, either positive cash flow or, let's say, uh, strong profits, they're getting hit um, big time in the past you know, six months or so. I mean, some are down like 70% or more. Um, are you, um, do you see this as an opportunity to start picking up a position or do you just kind of say, hey, I'm going to hold off a bit to get some more certainty from the Fed um, before kind of piling in into some opportunities? So we, we do see opportunities even uh, with this background and the way we kind of anchor our thinking is we have a methodology called the reverse DCF where we go and look at a current valuation of a company and we can factor in what the expectations are for investors for growth. We're believers that for tech stocks to work, they need to exceed investor expectations. So the better uh, sense that we have of what's currently priced in. And uh, the way we internally think about this is just uh, setting aside uh, uh, all the the noise around what's going on with the Fed. We just have a a list of 50 companies that we uh, love and we're waiting for those companies to dip into um, the, the buy, uh, the buy window, uh, within our reverse DCF. So we have been, uh, being strategic and, and picking off uh, some of these. Uh, it has been just that it's been, uh, it's, it's more strategic. So I think that there is some, uh, room for that. And I think, uh, uh ultimately, uh, uh, we, uh, we, we still want to, uh, uh, err on the side of, uh, I think safety related to what's going to happen with the fed. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, of these like 50 companies you have your eye on, what are, you know, are there some like kind of examples, like maybe top three or so that appeal or intrigue you the most? Sure. We uh, really want to focus on uh, where the world is going. And I think this concept of stepping back and thinking about which companies are going to power that change. Uh, sometimes where the world is going gets caught up in the hype. Sometimes the hype is justified. In the case of the companies that we uh, we love. There are companies based like, for example, the metaverse is a theme that uh, has gotten a lot of hype, but I think the substance of it still is grossly underappreciated. And we think that the first um, mechanism for monetization around the metaverse uh, will continue to be, I guess it's not the first it currently is, is around gaming. Roblox is a great example. We do not own Roblox, but uh, we do own Take-Two. And that is uh, just you know recently also with their on the pullback here uh, with their acquisition of Zynga, the stock was down significantly on that. That for us is an opportunity. Um, Also, there is the the world's biggest product cycle for years I've covered tech companies going into product cycles. I'm gonna gonna date pretty much everybody here, but I used to cover companies like Adobe and Autodesk and it's pretty simple. You'd buy those companies when they would blow up ahead of product cycles, then you'd sell them when they would release the product cycles, you'd just trade them. Uh, it was uh, it's incredible how well it worked. Uh, in the case of uh, Take Two, we have the mother of all gaming upgrade cycles, supposedly not till 2025 with the next version of Grand Theft Auto. Um, so that's one example of a company. Another is Coinbase. Uh, that is, uh, we view that as the bank of the metaverse. Uh, we don't want to invest in a specific currency, but we do think an exchange to take finite money into the metaverse is is a massive uh, opportunity. So those are a couple uh, example companies. 
uh, of that kind of we see is uh, uh, opportunities here in the pullback. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, um, I'm wanting to let's say dive into a bit into Tesla. So I know um, you've been um, a big advocate on Tesla's growth potential and future. What are your 2022 expectations like in terms of just um, whether it's deliveries or gross margins or you know overall can Tesla you know beat expectations which are you know quite high going into the year? Um, what's your take on Tesla 2022? So this is the year, of course, of, of deliveries, and that's what people are going to be focusing on with Tesla and Rivian and Lucid, and we um, want to hear more about what Ford deliveries are with the electric F-150, for example, and uh, Mach-E. And I think that uh, the, the, the way I think about uh, companies is I refer to them as pressure points, that every company really has one or two things that really matter. And in the case of uh, Tesla, I think that um, it's overweighted to one pressure point. I think it is on the delivery number, as obvious as that seems. And the street estimates, I haven't seen them after they've uh, reported their, obviously, their strong December quarter. But I suspect that the in-print numbers are going to be around 1.3 million uh, deliveries. And that would be up about 45% from 2021. And the whisper numbers, of course, you got to beat the whisper number, is probably higher than that 1.3. And so um, to answer your question, I think it's going to be, I made a prediction that Tesla would, would be, uh, at the time the street was at 1.2 million, it would be between 1.2 and 1.3 million uh, for 2022. I think that that's ultimately going to be uh, conservative. On the gross margin side, I think they just need to maintain uh, where they're at. If they can continue to grow units at 45%, they had so much improvement in gross margin over the past two years. I think investors have some level of confidence that that, uh, that they can show margin expansion towards a more of a tech-like company. And so I'm encouraged that uh, you know just a sustained uh, gross margin level I think would be viewed as a, a, a net positive. It reminds me a little bit of Amazon. Uh, they first were thought to be profitless prosperity and then they would show for a year, year and a half of some margin expansion. And then they would pull back and kind of surprise investors on the downside as they went into investment mode. But uh, the fact that they went through a period of expanding margins gave investors some confidence that they could do that in the future. And I think all the lessons, uh, all the good things that happened with uh, FANG are really benefiting Tesla shareholders here because I think that it gives the, the company some room to, again, maintain uh, gross margins and still be viewed as moving in the right direction relative to becoming ultimately a tech company. Mm -hmm. um, on gross margins, what's your expectations kind of long term? Um, there's a lot of analysts who actually think that Tesla's margins, let's say in 2030 or so, will be around where they're at right now or even lower because they're selling a lower cost car. But on the flip side, there are some people who say like, hey, this is a company that is going to have lots of add-on services, software like you know, FSD, um, autonomous driving, et cetera, that can boost their margins over time, even if they go downstream. And so some people are expecting over 40%, you know, margins or even higher. Um, what's your take on gross margins? Do you think, are you leaning on more of the kind of more conservative side or do you think Tesla can expand gross margins um, significantly over time? I think that they can expand and I'm more in that camp of, I would say, uh, at 40 or slightly below, fractionally below that, and then use Apple as a good benchmark. Apple, of course, is uh, hardware, software, and services, and I think that's ultimately what uh, Tesla is. And there's this um, you know, debate about whether Tesla's a tech company or a car company, and 
Uh, from my perspective, it is a, a device on wheels, and that uh, device on wheels has opportunity for services on top of it. The big service that gets talked a lot about is related to FSD, but the company can get into other services. You could have in-app entertainment opportunities. Uh, those are probably small relative to like an FSD opportunity, but that is, to me, high value, high margin. And uh, I think that the recent price increase of FSD was more window dressing uh, that's coming up here, uh, I guess, uh, from 10 to 12,000. I think that's more window dressing than like substance behind any sort of massive demand. But I think that, that the concept of really increasing the utility of a car, and uh, as we think just to finish the thought too about, yes, I think Tesla's gonna introduce, um, you know, Model 2 will come out and that will probably, I think, uh, stabilize what I think ASP is kind of in that 45 to 50 range uh, long-term. And the reason why I believe that is I think that there is upward pressure on car pricing more broadly. I think the rest of auto is in a tighter spot than Tesla. And for them to even consider being viable for the long term, they're going to have to continue to uh, keep their prices up as well. So I think the concept of this uh, mainstream car price being $32,000, $34,000 right now and going up a few percent a year, I think that that's going to go away. And I think it's going to gravitate, unfortunately, to car pricing being right around that 45000 which gives Tesla room to sell some higher ASP services like FSD and continue to maintain share. Mm-hmm. I mean, why do you think, um, so you're, you're, you're saying kind of car prices get reset at a higher level in a sense. Is that mostly inflation driven or is it just something fundamental about how people are viewing their cars or yeah, what's behind that? I think part of it's inflation and uh, maybe just a, a quick snapshot. There is some some craziness going on in the the new and used car pricing market. I don't want to go and uh, quote uh, numbers that are a couple months old here, but I think that they have been uh, surging uh, well above that kind of low $30,000 range before the pandemic. So there's this inflationary piece to it, but also I think that there's a utility piece. And you think about uh, what's happened with uh, with smartphones and uh, it's uh, it's easy to build utility and it's been easier for Apple to charge on average $700 for a phone because the amount of time we use it, the utility, it's, it is more than we realize throughout the day. Cars a little bit of a different dynamic because you don't really use your car as it stands that often during the day. But there is an opportunity. I mean, Tesla's talked about this too. I just, I have a lot of respect just for their radical uh, approach to things. But this concept of a, an expensive asset that you have that's underutilized and the eventual ability to, uh, whether it goes into the, the robo-taxi fleet, not everybody's going to want to do that, probably a very small percentage of people, but that's an example. Also, the safety piece around it, I think people will value that. Don't get me started, Dave, on talking about car safety because cars are not safe. And uh, the last piece, I think just the overall experience uh, to be able to uh, long-term, not even uh, think about uh, driving. I think it is uh, quite powerful. Uh, I do need to, to inject that my strong belief that the uh, cars eventually will all be autonomous. Um, uh, Loops. Uh, Doug Clinton worked with Doug for a long time. He has a, a belief that that's uh, not never going to happen because uh, you have people love to drive and politically it's going to be impossible to mandate full autonomy. Uh, but when we put it all together, uh, my belief is there's going to be more utility out of a car, which is also going to drive that ASP higher. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, what's the biggest risk for a Tesla, you think, um, this year? Well, aside from the 
you know, I guess the obvious about what's going to happen in the, the component side that could end up creating a fracture potentially in those delivery numbers. Um, uh, what is the, the biggest risk? I, um, it's, it's actually concerning to the stock that, you know, there's not an obvious one because you usually want something really negative that uh, can kind of balance the, uh, the scales. Um, I, I think there's probably risk of uh, people uh, just thinking that, um, you know, it's not moving in fast enough in the right direction. I talked about the margin expansion and this being a year where we're going to see kind of flatter uh, gross margins. And maybe there's risk that I'm just uh, misreading the market. And investors want more. So I guess there's that piece. There's the investing piece of the risk. So just to be clear is that my belief that maintaining gross margins is enough. Maybe I'm incorrect on that. The, the second, uh, from, a, from, a, from just a fundamental standpoint and competition, um, I wish I had a, a great question. I think, I think it's going to be a tough year, still a tough year for traditional auto. I think the, the amount of the um, – I mean, it's hard for me to, to put into words like how – backwards, I still think auto is, I'm going to, I don't even remember the car company, but I recently saw an ad for a car uh, that was a, um, a woman got a, a gas card for a gift and she was, had to get her father-in-law, I think, a, a gift and they're rushing around trying in the car, trying to, to get the gift. And they just decided to re-gift this gas card to their father-in-law and because they had this, uh, it was like a Toyota hybrid or something. Uh, and the, the, just the crazy part about it is, uh, I believe it was an ad for a hybrid that still takes gas. And, uh, when I think about just this concept, like traditional auto is like not only advertising these, but they're like investing in these products. And we had a meeting with a, a large automaker who was, it was a long time ago. It was a couple of years ago. And they said that if they don't start moving fast and this company has not moved at all, if they don't start moving fast, just because they've been around for 70 years doesn't mean they'll be here in 70 years. And I thought that was very telling. So from a fundamental standpoint, from a market share standpoint, I still think Tesla has the best value for an electric vehicle. And I think it's going to put other uh, car makers in a tight spot this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's when you think about it, because um, you have such a, a long background with, with Apple and um, – You've been, you know, covering them for such a long time. Um, it seems like, you know, one of the advantages of Apple is this integration where you have the hardware and the software, um, including the chips nowadays, but it's this complete experience where they're almost religious in the end user experience. It's got to be like perfect, you know, and um, they'll do whatever it takes, you know, to make that user experience what it is. And it seems like... Um, Tesla has emulated some of that business model where it's like, okay, you know, like the whole shopping experience is so crazy terrible with, you know, a new car dealership typically, but Tesla has like completely revamped it. They've gotten rid of all these options too, you know, um, and it's just make it, made it so simple to, to buy a car and uh, to get it, you know, charged um, or serviced or, you know, just the whole software updates. Everything is just this integrated tight system because of the end kind of value proposition to the user, which is it's going to be the best experience possible. Like, do you see kind of, um, you know, similarities uh, with Apple and Tesla, especially, you know, since you've covered Apple so long? And what's your perspective? Like, um, I yeah. think, yeah, they both, they both, uh, 
both got it right. And I think one of the ironies of them getting it right in terms of vertical integration, and they do it at different levels. I think Tesla's even more vertically integrated uh, than uh, what what Apple's doing because they have the manufacturing piece, and they will tool. They have tooling for uh, for different parts too, but they're even more vertically integrated. But that concept of uh, vertical integration, it just is, it's so hard, so, uh, and just still, I think, underappreciated. Uh, Apple, for a long time, was penalized by investors for having a hardware business. The reason is that there was scar tissue around other hardware companies that blew up, whether it was Sony or Nokia or BlackBerry, and that eventually hardware uh, is a hit-driven business and it just kind of goes away. And in reality, Apple was... Uh, hardware, software initially, and then they've added that third services piece on. And I think Tesla has a lot of the same similarities. They've got a lot of people that have worked at both companies. They've poached uh, between the companies. I think, um, I think at the core technology piece, they're culturally very similar. At the highest level, they are very different. I would say when it, or at the uh, management level, they're very different. Where Tim Cook has, I think, this embedded fear, uh, understandably, that he doesn't want products. Uh, killing people. Um, as harsh as that sounds, I think that that is a very real uh, concern just given their high class brand. And then on the other side, you have Tesla introducing an FSD option for more aggressive driving where it will do rolling stops. I mean, uh, so I think that uh, there's some a lot of similarities between the companies, but still from a leadership standpoint, there's a lot of differences. Mm, got it. Um, with Apple, like there's a lot of people who miss the boat on Apple um, for various reasons, right? You know, this con- there's this constant um, kind of uh, feeling that oh, the valuation is too high, right? And it's always too high, so so people they end up chasing or not chasing it, but always like saying oh, it's too high, it's too high, and then um, they never get in. Or there's all, all, oftentimes confusion of exactly what the product, how strong the product, how sticky it is, right? How um. Um, what the future of the product could look like. But I'm, I'm curious, like, because a lot of times it feels like with Tesla, it's the same thing. It's like this people, the common criticism is valuation is too high. Um, what would you tell people? Let's say, I don't know. I don't know if you have kids, but, um, or let's say people that you, young people that let's say you, let's say you have a young person who's like, you really wanted them to, not to miss the next great generational company let's say and you've seen it throughout your history throughout your career you know people missing you know with apple or with tesla what would be your kind of key advice you know to this young person like are there any skills they can develop are there any like places they can get knowledge um what are the things they can do so that when this next opportunity comes around that they won't miss it they won't be you know blindsided by all of the noise around I think it's straightforward, and my guess is everyone does it at some level, but it's uh, just having a sense about where the world's going. And in each of these companies, they've had different products out, and I think people uh, just across the investment spectrum have had moments, aha moments, where you realize that this is just better. I had one uh, a few months ago with Tesla and the FSD beta, and so it was. Uh, it's a company that we've been positive on for a long time, and but there was kind of like this renewed piece, like this is, uh, it was rough, but I just had a sense like something bigger is going on here. And I, I would just say is you have to, you have to, um, you have to just uh, lean into that, that kind of uh, your intuition around it. And, uh, and you know, in the case of, uh, so that, that, that would be, 
and, and you can still, some of these big companies can have moves and can continue to go higher too, but you have to figure out kind of what's that next thing. In the case of Apple, it's going to be, what are they doing around uh, the metaverse and headsets that they have? They're not going to sell very many headsets for the next two or three years. I mean, it's, it's a long ways away, but the potential of uh, essentially a world that's Ready Player One-esque I think it's very real, and I think Apple has a, is going to play a role in that, or with Tesla, with FSD. So to answer your question, it's um, these kind of moments. And I've had, I've had, I've been wrong. Like I bind as a moment, and we'll see how this plays out. Open doors and investment of of Loop. Um, like uh, it's not as uh, fun and as uh, glamorous as whether it's the iPod, iPhone, or uh, some mixed reality glasses. But when you just hear people also just have like other people have just kind of experienced the product too. You have an experience and a light goes on for you and someone else has an experience and the light's going on for them. You, you're probably onto something. Hmm. Interesting. It's kind of this catchiness, right? Um, people, it like opens up a whole new kind of experience or view on, on something perhaps. Um, yeah. I mean, the first time I used the iPhone, it was just like, it was revolutionary. You know, I was like searching mm-hmm. for something like that. And I was like, first day you know in line just waiting for like all day for this thing awesome yeah Love and it that. was just it was just like you knew you knew this was the future you know it was just like um but then the funny thing is like most people like ridiculed it saying you know it's like this piece of jewelry that no one will ever buy because it's too too pricey too expensive, yeah yeah right? that was a big kind of um i don't know what it is it's, it's like mental mm-hmm. block in a sense you know it's like this prejudice against something that um for some people is just so obvious um um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's well, definitely interesting. Too, that the, the market will send uh, signals to you that uh, you you need to factor into. In the case of the iPhone, you're right. As people thought it was expensive, kind of a fun fact is after the first weekend that the iPhone was originally introduced, it would have been 15 years ago this, this coming June. After that first weekend, uh, AT&T was the only carriers just in the U.S. that they missed their numbers. It was like the, the whisper number was like 350,000 units. Uh, I, I think they do, uh, I think Apple, they'll do 280 million, so they do like a million per day now. Mm-hmm. But uh, 350,000 uh, units, they did 250, something like that. And I remember uh, talking to investors, and uh, one investor said, uh, dead on arrival. And uh, I, I think, uh, you know, you, you see some, I think you see some of that with FSD right now when, yeah. uh, uh some of the noise and, and it's some of the stuff that the car does is bad. No, no question, but yeah. I think it's moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about Apple car, Apple car. I know you've talked about Apple car as, um, something that obviously isn't guaranteed, but it seems like lately with, um, Mark Gurman with his Bloomberg article, it shows like some renewed interest and energy regarding their autonomous driving plans. It looks like they're trying to go more, you know, autonomous driving a car without the steering wheel. Um, when I look at Apple, it just seems like they're like a notch or two below Tesla in terms of execution on the car front and autonomous driving, maybe even more. But they've had so much talk and so many plans, so much change of leadership. And it just seems like when you're in a field that has a killer company that's executing at a super fast pace, you can't afford to make those type of mistakes. Like you can't afford to have two or three years of bad management and failed plans to compete. And it seems like, you know, Apple's, you know, the market is just so big. It's such a huge addressable market that they just can't ignore, 
but yet they've been plagued with so many, you know, mishaps. What's your take? Can Apple come up with a car? Can they compete with Tesla at all? Like what's, yeah, what's your um, opinion? Agree with your lead in. I think uh, there's, there's more action there. I think Mark Gurman does great work and I think he's reporting accurately that Apple wants to do this. That doesn't mean they will do it, but they currently want to have a car. As far as uh, uh, being uh, uh, late to the party, the party's just kind of, uh, or it's the party's over, the party's taken off, they've missed some sort of uh, escape. Uh, it's definitely a much harder, they have a much harder uh, job ahead of them today than they did three years ago if they would have uh, had things aligned better. There's no question about that. I, I do think we're still just so early in this, and I just go back to the market share numbers, whether it's EV at at three, five uh, percent of, of total vehicles, or you look at autonomy at, at basically zero today. Um, the, the, uh, you know, there's a lot of learnings that uh, Tesla has, is gaining every day, every mile, I think that advances uh, their ability. I don't think that uh, it's a one market take or one player take all either. Agree with you that it is a massive TAM, and I mean, th that's the exciting part about auto, is it's about as big of a TAM as you can get. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that they're, they're not too late, and I think you could have built a um, kind of a similar argument on, on other, uh, other examples of Apple products that they've gotten into when they weren't uh, first to the market. They're a little bit later than they typically are here, I mm -hmm. agree with that, but I think there's still so much and really the, the the basic concept of a car still is largely unchanged mm -hmm. there's still a driver in it still four doors typically uh pickup trucks love pickup trucks just got to pick up uh, but nice. the, i think that uh i think that there's there's still an opportunity really to have that iphone like experience when you first got it and you get into a car and say wow um uh, you get that with Tesla, but I think there's still a whole nother level that can happen. And I think Apple's in a good position to, to capture that. Mm -hmm. um, if Apple is kind of shifting more of their plans and hopes to this more autonomous driving piece of the picture, um, how can they compete against a, a massive fleet in the millions that is collecting data, not just kind of regular data, but these edge cases, which are really difficult to acquire, but Tesla is acquiring these edge cases at a, a, at a huge, huge, you know, level that, you know, no kind of small company or company that doesn't have that type of fleet can, can match. And if hypothetically, you know, the quality and the amount of, of the of data and these edge cases will determine the performance, right, of full self-driving, I mean, what's your kind of Agree with optimistic that. take on how can Apple catch up to that? I think about this, what's going to happen in auto is this is a 20 to 40 year transition we're going to go through. And I think that uh, I would agree with that, that Tesla has advantage today. I think that the miles, uh, there's a debate whether or not what you just described is, is accurate because there's simulated miles. I think it is real. I think that actually having road miles is something that benefits uh, Tesla's neural network. And I think that that's going to continue to give them an edge. Where I think Apple comes in is there is a number, I don't know what the number is, but there's a number of, of vehicles on the road. Uh, you know, let's call it that there's, I'm just off the top of my, my head, I'm gonna guess there's probably 3 million or so Teslas on the road right now. Uh, you know, let's say that uh, Apple needs to get to a million and a half of those. And it might take them a decade to do that. 
Um, again, we're all operating under a belief that this is going to happen. I need to stress that. But I, I think that there is, um, I think you can get there is my, my point. And uh, you, they got, they have some real work to do. I think you need real uh, miles. I don't think that it comes to Apple licensing technology from Tesla. Uh, this is not a uh, investment recommendation. It's just my opinion that Tesla can be a $2,500 stock in the next five years. And I think that's based on what you just described as a big advantage. Yeah. But I do think that there is a place um, that uh, underneath what Tesla's doing, which Apple can really land and expand. And I think if they get enough vehicles out there, they can gain a lot of the same insights and create a, uh, a, a safe and compelling autonomous uh, system. Do you think uh, Tesla can um, become a more valuable company than Apple? If so, when, what year do you think that might happen? Well, if Apple gets into auto, I think uh, that is highly unlikely. Uh, I think if uh, Apple doesn't get into auto, at what point would Tesla be bigger? Uh, you know, I'm talking about five years at, at two and a half uh, two and a half trillion dollars for for Tesla. So, and we're above that for Apple today. So, uh, it's probably 10 years out. I mean, they, they're going to have to get the solar up and going, and the battery business, and and probably need to get into their insurance now, expand that, and get into robotics. They got to do a, a several other things. But I would say this: it's um, I think it's, it's it's on the table. Uh, it's something that you just can't dismiss. Um, and so I think that the opportunity is just that big still within the markets that Tesla's going after renewable energy and autonomy and what Apple's going after that uh, we could see uh, a long-term battle. My guess is it's probably going to come down to those two companies. I think it's going to be Apple and and Tesla really fighting it out for the largest yeah. market caps. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say this is going to happen, but there, there are some people, and I'm still not you know really resolved on this, but you know, let's say if Elon, you know, does and Tesla does solve, let's say, level four type of level FSD. And let's say in 2023 next year, let's say Tesla reaches 40% gross margins, um, which is unheard of. Like no analyst has even, you know, near mm -hmm. those type of margins, even long term, perhaps. But let's say hypothetically, this thing takes off beyond what most analysts even are conceiving. Um, and Tesla's able to, you know, charge, you know, an uptake, you know, take rate goes up, you know, they're able to charge, et cetera. Um, so they reach 40%. Do you think there's a chance Tesla could become the most valuable company by the end of next year if that happens? I, you know, I, the, the scenario that you just described, yeah. the, the number that came into my head just off the, the, off the cuff was this, that's, uh, that's $2,000 stock, $2,500 stock, something like that. I think mm -hmm. that that would be really remarkable if they had full FSD available mm -hmm. to the public at the end of 2023 and they had 40% margins. But remarkable things have happened with Tesla. So you mm -hmm. uh, you have to respect that this can, can continue. And so do I think that that would be uh, the moment uh, that, uh, that Tesla could inch uh, ahead of Apple? Uh, I think that that's unlikely. It would close the gap, undoubtedly. And I think from Apple's case and the investor, the more that investors all the mojo that they're seeing investors see with Tesla, the Apple investors want the same thing. I mean, I hear from them, they want it. Uh -huh. And I think that uh, uh, Tesla could counter some of that gap by, excuse me, Apple could uh, counter some of that valuation, that closing of the gap, I think, if more just leaks out. I think this is going to be a year we're going to get more and more leaks from Apple in the car. Mm. And uh, I think that kind of 
keeps uh, keeps Apple safely ahead. I think that crossover point, if it does uh, ultimately happen, I think we're still five plus years away. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, Gene, it's been uh, fun and uh, fascinating talking with you about uh, the Fed, um, interest rates, the market, Tesla, Apple, so much stuff. Um, yeah, it's been super helpful. I'm sure it's going to be super helpful for all those uh, listening as well. I'll go ahead and link to your Twitter profile in the video description and also to Loop Ventures. Um, any other places where people can follow your work? I know you also have an ETF um, as well, um, and people can track that. It's on your website. Any other kind of uh, links or resources people can um, you can point people to? You covered it. Appreciate it very much, Dave, but you got all the bases covered. It was uh, just a joy to join you. Cool. All right, Gene. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Thank you.